if you would, turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And you can uh, make your way to verse 4 and following as we are now in week 2 of this series through the Ten Commandments. Really uh, attempting to uh, dig as deep as we can, kind of looking at every nugget, every jewel that we can find from these Ten Commandments, these ten words, as they are said, uh, that that might help us not only get an understanding of, of the rule, of the law, but having a better understanding of the God who makes the rule, the God who makes the law. I was thinking about the, the passage of Scripture that our focus verse from Psalm 19 uh, and just how... Often in Psalm 19 and then in its parallel, in much lengthy parallel in Psalm 119, how often it speaks of the, the law of the Lord being a delight and the commands of the Lord being pure and sure and good and, and how it speaks of these, this richness of the law as though it is like fine gold or silver or that it is like jewels of rubies and sapphires and, and to think how oftentimes we begrudgingly go to this law. But if, if we really believe that, that this is the, the bread of life, that this is our nourishment, if we really believe that it's worth more than silver or gold, then, then not just the, the parts that we enjoy from the Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians that are kind of easier to, to tackle, but every, every portion of God's word will we see as rich for us. Even a part that is telling us what we ought not do. And, and so that's what we find ourselves in the midst of these commandments today. In some way, the second commandment provides greater detail to the first commandment, right? There is this explanation in these first por portion, have no other gods before me. I, he really says, I am the Lord your God, right? This is, this is like a statement. I'm the, the one God, so don't have any other gods, do not offer our worship to anything else. But what we'll find today is he takes it kind of a, a step further in the commandment number two. So let's read that beginning in verse four, right? He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers uh, on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is one of the longer commandments, right? We, it gets lengthier here for a little bit, and then, then it gets real short as we get further into the commandments. But I want us to think some first about idols in themselves. And what I would tell you at first is that idols are preposterous. I was thinking about a good word. Like idols are absolutely ridiculous. If you really think about it, they're absurd, ludicrous, foolish, insane, senseless. Like you're, 
when, when he was speaking to them most commonly, it was that people were carving out of wood or molding things out of uh, different, like, again, whether it was out of gold or silver or different forms of metal, carving things and then worshiping those things that they had just carved. I was in uh, China years ago, and I went uh, into a, a temple on a tour of this temple. and Literally thousands of carved statues watched people burn incense as they begged and pleaded these figures carved out of stone. They were, some of them weeping and crying. Saw a similar picture in India. Saw a similar picture in Nepal. It was, it's like over and over. This is, this is the common. In other parts of the world, the, this is what might seem so foreign to us or so uh, Old Testament to us, Right? In maybe our context, in our world, we, we don't think of actual idols. We think of figurative idols. But, but those are, there's still very real idol worship happening, in fact, for arguably a, a majority of the world. And, and yet, it doesn't make any sense. Right there... They are the ones, even when they carve it, they know that they are the ones. What kind of God do you want to worship? One that you've made? It doesn't make any sense. And I want to I worship the God who made me. Not, the, not one that I've carved. I'm, I would be terrible at making an idol anyway. I can barely draw a stick figure. But like, why would I, why would I want to worship the thing that I have created? But I want you to notice in this absurdity of idol worship, that it is, idol worship is progressive. Notice how the, how God really says this to Moses. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. By the way, that covers it all. Anything in heaven, anything on the earth, anything in the waters. So if if you've seen it or not seen it and you think you should make an idol of it, the answer is no. He says, you shall not bow down or serve them. So think about this progression. First, it's just, just to make it. Don't even, don't make a carved image that you might worship. And, and I was thinking some about that for, for us, if we're trying to check a box, which is a dangerous thing for us to consider when we look at the Ten Commandments. It is easy for us to simply say, well, I haven't done that. I didn't, I didn't carve an image recently, right? So maybe, maybe you didn't actually build uh, something that you place on, on your mantle that you worship each night, but do you ever make God out to be something that he is not? I think, of course not. Well, Here's where I think it happens. We like to make God softer than he is. We have a tendency to speak of his love, but never speak of his wrath. 
especially when it comes toward us, right? So you, you have a tendency to make God something that he is not. You, you make God feel more palatable to those who you're sharing with him. Right, if you're sharing with your neighbor or your coworker or your classmate or your friend and you, you find yourself wanting to just talk about him in a way that maybe would be appealing to them. You're only speaking of the positives and, and never of their sin. But ultimately, like we, we cannot make images of God because he's already chosen to make us in his image. Right? He's told us this. This is the same word. He's, you, you were made in the image of God. You are an image bearer of God. And the truth is, none of us carry that perfectly, do we? There was only one who did that. Colossians 1 tells us he is the, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. The perfect one displayed for us. So when I think about progression, we, we do not make nor do not bow down. Like that's the next step. Once you've made it and you shouldn't have made it, then what would you do next? Well, you would bow down to this false idol that you have carved. And, and we, we certainly, we want to avoid the idea that we would create in ourselves a sense that someone this is, what, this is what happens to us. We, we, we create in ourselves a sense that someone else might worship us instead, right? As these image bearers that we, we give off this uh, pride or arrogant thought that someone should worship us instead of worship God. And you might say, of course, I don't want people to worship me. I've never asked or suggested that people bow down to me. You know, we have a tendency to speak of our own skills though our own we're, we're those storytellers I, I know this of myself even we're those storytellers who are always trying to to top one up the story we just heard this often happens in prayer request time right I'm gonna I'm gonna give a more intense prayer request than the person who went right before me we have what we call humble brags Right, we, we post things on social media in hopes that people will think better of us. Not just to celebrate the thing that happened, but really, it, I, it may be in the back part of our brain, we're hoping that, that we'll get several likes, thumbs ups, hearts, whatever it is on whatever the thing is. We might not actually expect people to bow down to us or to come to our feet but we sometimes want them to simply celebrate us. But I want you to think of not chiseling away at a false idol, but chiseling away at the sin in your life. Asking God to remove that sinful tendency of wanting people to look at you and acknowledge you and celebrate you. Because the more we chisel away our own sin, the more people will look not to us, but to Christ.
Because the more and more we chisel away our sin, the more and more we will look like Christ himself. So this progression, do not make an idol, do not bow down to an idol, and do not serve, right? At the end of verse 5, do not bow down to them or serve them. Interestingly enough, we, we serve something other than God when we serve money, right? In fact, Scripture tells us this. You can't do that. Jesus warns against this in the Sermon on the Mount. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, we have that tendency in us. We have a tendency to let uh, our, our job rule the day. So we've got to make another dollar. We have a tendency to uh, try to keep up with the Joneses, as they say. Make sure that we also have the, the new boat or the new car or the new... Make sure that our kids have the new phone or the new game system or the new whatever the thing is, right? We, we have this, and so we find ourselves serving money instead of serving God. Holding our hands out like this and saying, okay, God, whatever you want us to do with the money that's actually yours anyway... We, we find ourselves not carving an image, but seeking satisfaction in a full bank account or a thing or an item. So idol worship has this progressive sense with it. But even beyond just the progression we might take individually, idol worship is contagious. Right, the end of verse 5, you shall, well, we'll just read the whole verse. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for, the, uh, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Generation after generation. Now, this is not to suggest, to be clear, this is not to suggest that children are responsible for the sins of their parents. It's not meaning that they're at fault. In fact, your children are not at fault for your sin, nor are you responsible for your parents' sin. However, it is exemplified that those who worship idols produce children that worship idols. This is... Like we, we have seen this in a variety of ways. Like this is just the way it is, right? What we find ourselves uh, caught up in, you can see it in our children. Have you ever watched a child talk really bad about a referee or an umpire? I think, man, where, where did you get such intensity and then you see their parent who's also yelling at the same referee or the same umpire. Maybe you've heard a child talk about something they have generally no understanding about, such as which president they should vote for, but only to talk with her mother to realize she is just regurgitating her mom's thoughts. Right? I remember my kids were in like lower elementary school and them coming home and talking about uh, something that they had heard about a president or someone running for president or something. We don't even watch the news at our house. So it wasn't, like that had literally just come from some other kid 
around who had heard it from their parent, who, right? So they, they just regurgitate these things. Have you ever watched a parent value things over generosity and then seen that fleshed out in the child? Got to have the next newest best thing. This is, this is what the Lord is saying. Like The repercussions of this, of valuing other things over God is going to not just affect you. Your decisions don't just affect you. They are generational. I'm, I'm thankful for a dad, my dad, who, who broke uh, a generational sin from his father. My granddad um, did not live a life honoring to the Lord, nor did his dad or his dad before them. They may have all used things like time in the war as their excuse for their poor behavior, sinful behavior, but it was my dad who broke that chain. Right? And I, I think about now a new generation after generation that is following. Not just because I'm in the pulpit right now, but when I look at my kids and I look at my brother and his family, I look at my sister and I think these are evidence of, of my dad breaking a chain with, with a new set of links now. Now, idols, again, make no sense. They're preposterous, right? They're ridiculous, absurd. But... God, on the other hand, is perfect. I love, uh, as we were just singing, that there is no other God. And then the very next word is that he is holy. Right? That word means to be set apart. Right? So there is no other God. So, so we, what do we then celebrate? That he is set apart. Now, I, I, I say this often, but he is set apart imperfection. Holy, yes, does mean very specifically means to be set apart, but you can be set apart for a variety of reasons, right? You can be set apart because you're tall. You can be set apart because you're short. You can be set apart because you're a really good athlete, because you're really smart. You can be set apart because you're pretty or musically talented or whatever. In fact, you can be set apart for the exact opposite of all those reasons. You can be set apart because you're ugly. Sorry. Uh, you can be set apart because you're not smart. Because you're not musically talented. Like you can be set apart for a variety of reasons, but holiness means to be set apart in perfection. There is no one else like him. He's perfect. And as such, it makes sense then that as this perfect God, he would be zealous for his glory. And before you get too worried about that, like why would he be zealous for his own glory? Well, I would ask you this, who would you think he should be zealous for their glory? Is there someone better for him to want us to worship? Is there something better for him to offer than to offer himself to us? How ridiculous would it be for the God of the universe, the one and only God of the universe, to suggest that we worship something or someone else? He's the only one that is perfect. 
He's the only one that is holy and righteous and good, never failing, never doing wrong. So why would he want anything more for us than for us to give him the glory that he deserves? All right, at, at kids camp this week, uh, we had a really uh, exciting time. It was very lively, as you can imagine. Uh, but in our very first session, as we were walking through this understanding of because of who God is, we talked about who I am, who we are in Christ. And so this is what we learned in our very first session. We are made by God in his image to bring him glory by obeying his commands. Like, kind of plain and simple, right? It's not just for kids camp, that's for all of us. We are made by God in his image to bring him glory by obeying his commands. This is what we want. We want to, to bring him glory. We talked about that word even, and it was so encouraging to hear 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds describe the glory of God. Their, their understanding of, of um, that he was the only one that deserved honor. He was the only one that deserved worship and praise. That we should magnify him or make his name known. Man, just, just hearing them say words, many of them which they learned in songs, right? Uh, which is a good thing. If you think your theology is not shaped by the songs we sing, you, are, you just don't pay attention to songs very well. No, like they were using these words, making, they said it is, I remember one raising his hand saying, it is to make much of God. Talk about regurgitating something. That's good. I'd rather them say that, right? You see, God does not want us to bring glory to another. If the first commandment is there's no worship of anything but God, then the second commandment is there's no worship of any version of God that is less than God. Right? Like I said, like when we have this tendency to make something else and, and claim it to be God. In fact, Aaron, he does, does this just a few chapters later. Right? You remember when he makes the golden calf? It's a pretty famous story, right? Aaron crafts it. He, he gets, Moses is up on the mountain and he gets all of these, he gets all the people to bring their, their gold uh, and, and they're going to melt it down and then he fashions it into uh, a, a cow and he then calls it the God who delivered them out of Egypt. Right? Moses is currently up on the mountain getting this word from the Lord and Aaron and the people of God are looking, are making an idol. That they're not just saying that seems like a good God there. They're saying this is the physical picture of Yahweh. It really doesn't make any sense to do that. Because they know that's not true. But this is what sin does to us, right? It distorts our mind to where we're not even thinking clearly or rightly. Jen Wilkin describes the difference between this idol and God. And she says, it is small, but God is immense. 
It is inanimate, but God is spirit. It is location bound, but God is everywhere. It is created, but God is uncreated. It is new, but God is eternal. It is impotent, but God is omnipotent. It is destructible, but God is indestructible. It is of minor value, but God is of infinite value. It is blind and deaf and mute, but God sees and hears and speaks. So, so I want you to do this. Um, turn in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 40. This is one of my favorite chapters in, in all of Scripture. Um, and I want you to hear, listen to how Isaiah describes the greatness of our God. This is one of those that you should just have your pen out if, because there are going to be passages in this that you should circle and underline and star if you have not yet. Isaiah 40 says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, as she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I, I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, and taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? Listen, an idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? 
Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my, my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He is zealous for his glory, and he is worthy of our worship. Right? This is this is this God. Did you catch those those descriptive words? Who else has held all of the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand? Who takes all the mountains and places them on a scale and puts the all the hills on the other side? Not a small God. Not a God that you carve out of wood and stone. Certainly not what you fashion in your mind or in your heart. It is absurd, ridiculous for us to, for anyone to think of this. He's zealous for his glory. And he is jealous for our worship. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God is not jealous of you. Do you understand this? He is not jealous that of, of what you have, meaning uh, jealous in the sense that he wishes he had what you had. That's what we think of when we think jealous, because that's how we act. When we're jealous of somebody that won the game, we, we wish we had won the game. When we're jealous of someone who has the thing that we want, we're, we're wanting the, that thing, right? But what God is saying in this, that God is calling us to a deeper worship. This deeper worship comes from, as I've mentioned already, from chiseling away our sins. Some of those sins are sins of commission. Right, that we, things we do that we ought not do. Some of those are carving away sins of omission. Things that we don't do that we should be doing. So I wonder this morning, do you need to confess some of those sins? Maybe you need to confess the sin of not giving financially. 
Have you been holding back your giving because it's hard? Because you have a lot of debt or because you want to do or take that trip or eat out at that meal? Chisel away at that sin in your body. Do you need to confess the sin of silence when it comes to proclaiming the gospel? Have you just been quiet when the Lord commands this, expects this? Have you been avoiding talking to your neighbor or your coworker because you know you need to share with them? Chisel away at that sin today. Do you need to confess the sin of lust or greed or pride or selfishness? Have you been looking at your own interest instead of the interest of your husband or your wife or your spouse or your friend or your child? Have you been thinking of yourself more than thinking of someone else? Chisel away at that sin. He's jealous for our worship. Therefore, we must surrender to him. Right? Some of you, this isn't just a chiseling away because you've, you've never actually turned your life over. You've never surrendered yourself to Christ. But he's the one. I was talking to David just right before... Uh, Everything got started this morning, and we were talking about uh, the reality that, that we don't worship the cross, right? We have crosses, like there's a cross uh, in our baptistry. There's a, many of you are wearing a cross necklace, and well, crosses printed on things. And, well, we don't worship the cross, Right? What we do is we have the cross in front of us as a representation, as a reminder of what Christ did on the cross for us. So we don't worship the idol of the cross. We worship the Christ of the cross. We worship that, that Jesus took your punishment for breaking this commandment. Took on my punishment. When I, when I broke this command, I was born into sin, and then I chose to sin. But Jesus took on the punishment that I deserved so that I could spend eternity with him. So we fix our eyes on him. We look to this Jesus. So some of you today... Today, not tomorrow, not later. Some of you right now need to trust in Jesus. You need to turn away from your sin. You need to look away. You need to push away your, the idols you've created in your life, trying to think that your way is better, that, that your plan is smarter, that, that you have a, a better way to do this thing called life. And so you need to push those things away, reject them, turn away from them, your ways, your, in fact, even your sin, and instead trust in Jesus. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we, we go to him. So my prayer for you this morning is that right where you are, right where you sit, that you would say, I'm trusting in you, Jesus. I'm going to follow after you. I, in just a moment, we will, we will stand to sing. 
And so as we do that, I um, want to ask you, if, if, that, if that person is you, if you're one who needs to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus today, that when we stand to sing, if you'll come right to this side, right here, there are some that would love to talk with you, answer questions for you, pray with you, celebrate with you what God is doing in your life. Maybe it is that your response this morning needs to be to confess sin that you might chisel away. Remove them, ask God to remove them from your life. Maybe maybe your your response today is simply to say to the Lord in song, God, I want people to look at me and see you. I don't want them to look at me and, and see more of me or, or think that I'm something special. I want them to, when they see me, I want them to see you. So as the song will say, Christ be magnified. Be put on display. So maybe that's your response this morning. But whatever the case, would you stand with me now as we respond to the Lord?